Good to see you guys. We're gonna be talking about prayer again. Before I do though, there's one little girl who's guessing candy in the back and she simply wrote down, it would really mean a lot if I could win this thing, please. And never put a number. So you can't win if you don't put a number. So if that's your kid or you think that's your kid, go put a guess in for her because it was really sweet. And while it made me happy, it also made me a little bit sad that she wasn't gonna win. And then two, people keep asking me like, Man, are you so excited to see the look on a kid's face? Not nearly as excited as I am to see the look on their parents, if I'm really honest with you. So if that ends up being you, like, thank you for just your service to this church. We love you. It's amazing. Very, very excited for that moment. And I want to see you pack all that candy up and take it home. It's going to be great. So we've been working through this series on prayer. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer each and every single week. And today, eventually, we're going to get to where we're going to focus in on verse 11. But what I wanna do as we go to talk through this today is prayer has this extraordinary way of being a gift in our lives. And that's, you've heard this say this time and time again over these last couple of weeks, is that when it comes to prayer, we want you to see that God doesn't just want something for us when it comes to prayer, or wants something from us, right, when it comes to prayer, but that there's actually something for us in this. Prayer itself is a gift. And one of the things I want us to see today is that what prayer is, one of the gifts that prayer offers us is that it pulls us out of scarcity and centers us back in enoughness. Now, if that doesn't make sense, or you're kind of going like, what's that mean? Or what's he talking about? Here's what I wanna to do today. I wanna to spend the first part just really identifying this idea of scarcity, how we see it, how we experience it. It's a very real thing around us. And it, it lives in contrast to the kingdom of God. And in the second half, we're gonna to get to the Lord's prayer and we'll talk all about, okay, so here's how prayer pulls us forward and centers us back in God's enoughness. And so if you're wondering at times like, what are we doing? I thought this was on prayer. That's where we're going today. So. First off, I left my home, meaning Arizona. I grew up here, right? I even grew up around here at Casas. I left my home and moved to Chicago at the age of 19 because I wanted to be a pastor. I was ordained at a church before I even left for that. I was doing youth ministry out in Picture Rocks when I, at a young age, and I didn't know what I was doing, what I was teaching, a lot of different things. I needed some training before I continued to open my mouth in front of other people. Uh, and so I just thought, okay, like I, I'd love to go study. And so I went to Chicago and I went to a school uh, there in the middle of downtown. And I moved there. Eventually I got married while I was there. My wife moved from, she was finishing school out in San Diego and came out to join me. And she lived in Chicago with me. And then I finally graduated. And I, I had this sheet of paper that said, I had learned these things and now you're supposed to just go get a job. You know what I mean? It's that moment. Anybody who is like a college grad right now, or maybe even at that spot is like, yeah, that's how they say it works, but it doesn't always work that way. Cause it's kind of hard. You don't always know exactly what to do. I remember friends of mine, they kind of, they went and they pursued being a pastor, being in ministry, the same way you pursue any other job where you look online and there's like a database and a church says, hey, we're looking for this pastor, this thing. And then people apply from all over the country. Our college even had a Rolodex, which is just like a filing system, but they, you could take these things. I realized I was like, not everybody knows what a Rolodex is anymore, do they? So they had this Rolodex, you could take a card and call this place that needed help and you could go, you know, interview with them. I was a little idealistic and I thought to myself, I, I feel like being a pastor should be this personal thing where you feel uniquely called to love this group of people and the church calls you and you call it and, and, and vice versa, right? And there's this relationship and I didn't have that at the time. I was attending a church, but they didn't have an open position and they didn't even necessarily have a long-term need for more leaders at this particular church in that capacity. And so that just wasn't, wasn't gonna be there. And I knew that, so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. So I started praying about it. God, where do you wanna take me? And what, what, like, what are we doing? In the meantime, I was working in retail. 
doing retail management. My wife was running, or not running, working at a preschool. She was a preschool teacher in the middle of downtown Chicago. So if you can combine working in retail with preschool, we were like barely making it in the city because <laughs> it's really expensive living in Chicago. If any of you have ever lived actually in that downtown area, it's a lot. And that's where both of our jobs were right there. And so we were barely making it. I thought we were really happy and doing great at the time. Now that I look back, I realize we were always about one major accident away from being like really in trouble. I didn't even carry health insurance because I was like, ah, that's really expensive. We don't need that. We're invincible. You know, that kind of a moment. And, and so we didn't. And so we, we did find, we were kind of poor. We didn't have a ton of money or any of that. And we barely made it by each month to month type of basis, but we didn't know any better. We thought it was really good. One day I talked to my cousin. He was out in Colorado and he was a part of a church that his family had moved out to plant years and years ago. And, and I had been to this church. I grew up spending some summers out there with him and his family. I knew the pastors and they knew me. And he told me that, that at this church, they have this school of ministry where they put you in leadership and the pastors and the elders of the church, they mentor you. And if that all goes really well, eventually you step into leadership with the church and maybe you work there, maybe you plant a church with them or something like that. And I was like, that sounds like an amazing thing. Called the pastors and they said, why don't you come out for a year and feel this out and just let's make sure that this is the right place for you and vice versa and all of that. And I said, man, I think maybe God's calling me to go to Colorado. And so I went to my wife, Amber, and I said, hey, I think maybe God is like opening up doors or I don't know what to say, but I think maybe we're supposed to look into going to Colorado. And I thought she was gonna look at me and go like, are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind? Or like, what? When, who, like, where did you get this? And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, let's do it. That's what she said. And you know what I felt in that moment? Cause here's what you would think I felt. You would think I was elated. I'm like, we're on the same page. Oh, that's so good. But do you know what I felt in that moment? Fear. All of a sudden, all this fear came over me. I'd never been at a spot where I wasn't just responsible for me. I was suddenly responsible for another human being and vice versa. And we're looking at this. It had always been kind of like, okay, you can go risk, you know, stepping into a new life someplace, doing something when it's just you. And now I'm like, but what if it doesn't work? What if we don't have enough? And then I started to think about this. All these thoughts began to creep into my head. We barely have enough money to make it here in Chicago. How are we supposed to move to Colorado? Neither I nor my wife have any jobs there. We don't have any kind of like financial sustenance, so to speak, that's there. How are we even supposed to make this move? We can't even afford the cost to move, like to put our stuff and take it someplace, much less actually pull this thing off at this point in time. We had one vehicle between the two of us, which worked great in the city of Chicago, you know, where I took public transportation all the time because it was set up that way. The place we were going, Colorado, was not set up that way. We didn't have money to get a new car. How are we going to do that? What? Okay, so we'll share and we'll make that work. I don't know. There's so many things that started to roll around in my head. And what if I go to this church and all the open positions of what they're looking for are actually already filled and there's not another one. There's not enough for me at this place. What if we don't have enough? What if when we get there, there's not enough? And what if God doesn't give enough to us? And all of this started to circle through. All is kind of swirled around inside of me. And it, these are really big questions. They created a ton of tension and they locked me up. Meaning instead of looking to go somewhere to take another step, all of a sudden it was just, I felt frozen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had that thought where you're just like, what if this, it doesn't feel like there's enough. I'm worried there's not gonna be enough of all this and I just don't know. And I'm gonna protect and better the not enoughness that I know here than risking it all there. Like, what do I do with this? We're nervous. All of the limitations that I just articulated, you guys, I'm not exaggerating. Those things were all true. We really didn't have very much money. We really didn't have jobs. We really didn't know how this would shake out. There really wasn't certainty around an opportunity in Colorado. I didn't know. 
All that was true, but what happened is all those tensions began to take root in my head and in my heart. And instead of them just being stressors or concerns, I began to adopt a perspective or a belief or a view that started to hold me back and settle in. And that view, that thing that I experienced is called scarcity. It just like soaked into me like a sponge and I started to see my world through it. Scarcity, if you don't know what scarcity is, scarcity really simply can be defined as the belief that there isn't enough. It's just the belief that there isn't enough. There isn't enough, so I won't have enough, and I don't think God's gonna give me enough, so I need to protect what's mine, keep what's here, and make sure that I don't lose it, because what if I don't have it anymore? Or I've gotta go get what's mine, because what if it's not there tomorrow? Scarcity is what you feel as a kid when someone brings cupcakes for someone's birthday and you start counting cupcakes and you start counting kids and you're like, wait a minute, is there gonna be enough for me? That's a scarcity mentality. We've all kind of been there. If you don't remember that and you're like, I was never that way. You were, you just don't remember. Scarcity is what, some of you guys are probably like, I don't really deal with scarcity. Yeah, you do. We all do, trust me. Scarcity is something, is what happens when you hide something in your fridge or your pantry because you believe that if somebody else sees it or knows it, they're gonna eat all of it and you're not going to get enough. So you need to somehow preserve it for you so that you can what? Have enough. Because if not, there won't be enough for you. Scarcity is what you experience if you've been planning for retirement for a long time. And at one point in time, you're like, this is the number that I need to retire. And you actually do the thing to save for that. And you get there and you're at that moment and you suddenly go, but this isn't enough. It doesn't feel like enough. And then this question pops into your head and some of you know exactly what this is like. And you find yourself going, how much is enough? And when will enough ever truly feel like enough for me? That's actually a question of scarcity in that particular moment. Scarcity is when you look at the way your friend or your spouse or somebody you're close to is spending their time and you look at what's coming up ahead for them and you find yourself going, well, if they're gonna be doing all that, there's not gonna be enough time left for me. And you start to fear and you start to get frustrated over that, that's scarcity. If you wanna know if you're affected by a scarcity mentality, here's a really simple litmus test way to do this. All you gotta do is ask yourself, how much toilet paper, how many paper products and cleaning supplies and masks did you buy at the beginning of the pandemic? Scarcity's all around us, you guys. It is all around us. I mean, it is everywhere. It is marketed to us on, in advertising. It is what drives so much of the way people vote and the political system these days. It is in churches. It is every, like scarcity is everywhere in terms of the way that we see and approach our world. Do you know people are even buying up toilet paper now? I, I recognized this this last week. I didn't recognize that there was some kind of international paper shortage. And yet... A couple of people get in the news and they're saying, hey, by the way, there's gonna be shipping delays over Christmas. And every one of us suddenly goes, I'm not gonna have what I need, so I need to go get lots of it right now. And we end up creating scarcity. See, it's everywhere. It's in us. And if you're looking at that, you're not a bad person. It's just part of being a human being. We all feel this. I just want you to see, this is a really powerful thing. It's everywhere. These kinds of thoughts, think about that. These kinds of thoughts are so different than what God has for us. Right, these are so different than, than what God has for us. These keep us frozen in our life, just like it did for me that time in Chicago when sometimes God's actually saying, but I want you to keep taking a step forward in faith with me, experience the goodness that I have for you. It keeps us protecting when sometimes God's actually asking us to give away. It keeps us from stepping into moments that are there for us because we're too afraid of what won't happen, what we'll lose, what's not there. 
And sometimes God wants us to move forward in a different way. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 8. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So this is is a beautiful passage, by the way. This is the Apostle Paul taking a moment to tell us, the grace of God abounds for you. It is abundant. It is overflowing. It is limitless. It is not a thing like toilet paper that you need to go ration and limit. Take as much as you want every single day. It's there for you. It abounds. It overflows. It's yours. He says, and because the grace of God abounds to you, because it's there, because God so favors you and he lavishes you and all of this, he says, here's the resulting effect that you might have what? Sufficiency in all things at all times. That word for sufficiency can also be translated as contentedness for the sake of how we're talking about it today, this idea of enoughness so that you might be sufficient, so that you might have enough, so that you might find yourself contented. And what happens when you experience the abundant grace of God and you find yourself in that place of enoughness? It's this, that you may what? Abound in every good work that the thing that starts to overflow and become abundant in your life is stepping into the good things that God has for you. This is a powerful thing in our lives. And we might go, sure, that's all really good, like religiously, relationally, but like, what about monetarily? Like, what about when it comes to our finances? Because that's a place where scarcity is a tough one to talk about. But that's why Paul writes, he has given to, he has distributed freely, he's given to the poor. Not he's made nobody poor and people don't have financial needs and not that there's not like socioeconomic issues and all of those different things, but that whether you're rich or you're poor, there's an idea of the abundance of God that's for you. There's an idea of the enoughness of God that's there even here for you, whether you're true here or true here. Same author, Paul, in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What he doesn't say here is God will supply your every want. He says, God will supply your every need. So it's not God will supply all of the things that we come to desire, all the things that marketing and advertising and things around us convince us are absolutely essential and important for our lives or else or all of that stuff. But at a very basic level, at a very core level that God will supply your every need according to what? The riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What this is saying is it's echoing something that we tend to sing as Christians a lot, that Jesus Christ truly is more than enough for us and we can stand in the enoughness of it and bring that peace to our lives powerful theological truth that's in there. Hard to live out of because sometimes scarcity pulls us in different directions. Do you see how different this perspective is than the one I held when I was in Chicago looking to move to Colorado? Do you see how different this perspective is than the one that's constantly being messaged to you, around you, all the time, inundated with? It's very different. Scarcity is a powerful sales and marketing tactic. It's a, and this is not like a new concept. Marketing and sales know this. Scarcity is a powerful marketing and sales tactic. And you hear this all the time. Here's what's gonna happen. In the next week or two, you're gonna be walking around and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's scarcity mentality. Oh my gosh, that's, you're gonna start to see it pop out at you because you're looking for it. You'll know it in a different way. Think of it this way. How often have you heard, for a limited time only, you can own... And there's a part of you that you didn't even know you wanted or cared about that before, but it's a limited time. So you got to get out there and get it or you're going to miss out. And all of a sudden something stirs in you. Why do we all own so much random junk that we bought? Because it would change our lives. And if we didn't get it, nothing was going to be the same. 
we have tons of this stuff. It's not all bad. Some of it's fun and different things, but you can feel the pull of scarcity inside of you, right? I love when fall hits and people are like, pumpkin spice is gonna run out in December. It's not, it's not an endangered spice. It's here all year round. Like it's, it's there guys. But all of us are like, I gotta go get like three or four. I would watch somebody walk two fisting pumpkin spice lattes and just being like, life is amazing. I'm like, okay, it's, it's good. I hope you enjoy. Or what about this? Only a limited quality, quantity of these were made. And you're like, there's only a small number. This is a limited edition. I need to make sure that I get out there and I, I do the thing. These things hook, hook us. So get yours before there's none to get. Or there aren't many left, so act fast. And you're like, wow, people are apparently flocking out to buy all these things, right? They're showing up in droves. I gotta go get it. And what ends up happening is there was no scarcity. And then all these people were like, I'm not gonna get it. And we created more of it and it grows. My personal favorite is this. We're constantly being told what we are lacking and what we're going to lose if we don't get a thing. My favorite one is like, if you're losing sleep or not getting sleep or sleep is being taken from you, this mattress will fix your life. I mean, it could probably make it better, especially if you're sleeping on an old mattress that resembles a hammock. But how many times have we ended up looking at that and being like, I need this. And now all of a sudden you're keenly aware of all that's missing in your life. And you didn't even know it before. You didn't even fear it. The kingdom of God is so different than this, isn't it? I mean, think about this. The kingdom of God is so different than this. Ask yourself these questions. Is it that I don't have enough or is it that Christ is more than enough? Which is true. Which do we live out of though? Is it that I won't have what I need or was Paul actually correct when he wrote that God will supply every need according to the riches in Christ Jesus? Which is true. Which do we live out of? Do we look at life through the limitations of scarcity or do we embrace the abundance of God and trust that it brings an abundance of good to our lives? Not that we have all of the things that we have potentially ever desired, but that at the very core of our lives, at a very, very base level, the enoughness of God brings about the abundance of good as we live out of it. Just a very base level. This is not a prosperity gospel moment, you guys, just in case you're curious. This is not a like, so if we just believe in the abundance of God, we're gonna have all the, no, it's saying, at your core, the very base level of your life, there's a kind of enoughness that carries us. There's a kind of enoughness that we get to live in where we get to push away the fear of scarcity and step in with the love of Christ in the situations and powerful moments where people need that because you have that, it's there for you. When you find yourself stuck in scarcity, prayer can open you back up to the enoughness of God. And this is why I wanted to talk about this today. Prayer is such a powerful thing here. This is that second half of the message where we're gonna start looking at the Lord's Prayer here. Prayer is such a powerful tool when scarcity is all around us, makes its way in us, grips our own heart. If that's you, you're in good company. Nothing's wrong with you. Welcome to the club. You're a human. But prayer has this amazing way if it grips you, if it keeps you fixed in one place, if it leaves you with those fears and anxieties. Prayer has this amazing way of pulling us forward back into the enoughness of Christ. And so we're gonna continue to explore that. In Matthew six, we find the words of Jesus and what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Every single week, we've read the thing from start to finish. I wanna do the same thing one more time today again. When we get to verse 11, I want you to hear that. That's what we're gonna focus in on today. And I'll let you know when it happens. Matthew chapter six, beginning at verse nine, Jesus says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's verse 11, ready? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. I want to take a moment to center in on those words that Jesus spoke in chapter six, verse 11, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, at first pass, when we read that, we would look, if you're like me, it's tempting to just go, that makes a ton of sense. Like, I get that. That's not like a mystery of any kind. It's just Jesus saying, thank God for providing food and ask him to continue to do so. You know what I mean? Like, that's super basic. We all, like the one time that most of us kind of agree you should pray here is before a meal. I see it happen all the time. We've referenced it the last two weeks of this thing. That seems common, right? Okay, this makes sense. But here's the thing. When, when Jesus' audience, those first century Jewish people heard him say this, it, it immediately, every single person who would have heard this knew exactly what he was referencing because he's not just talking about that moment. When he uses those specific words, he's pointing everybody all the way back to a moment that happened way back in Exodus. And he's calling that picture back into mind. And I want us to see it too so we can kind of dive into the fullness of Jesus' words here. In the second book of your Bible, a book called Exodus, Right? God liberates the people of Israel. And I know we've talked about this for a couple of weeks now, but this is actually what he's referring to. So it's the context of the passage. Liberates the people of Israel from the nation of Egypt. They were slaves and now they're set free. And now they go wandering across the wilderness, making their way towards the promised land that God has for them. And this is a tough journey. They get really hungry. They don't always have what they need. There are moments and times, really, there's moments and times where they start to feel on the brink of starvation. And scarcity mentality starts to step in where they suddenly are just like, I don't know where food is. I'm not sure where water is. God, where are you taking us? This is complicated. And scarcity sets in. They all start to get a little scared. They all start to grumble and complain. Some of them even begin to say to Moses and to God, they say, why would you bring us out here in the desert to die? We were better off being slaves in Egypt where at least we knew where the food was coming from. You ever have that moment where you're like, better the scarcity back here than the unknown one over here? That's what that is. And they start to grumble and they start to complain about this. And then God does something. Exodus chapter 16, verse four. The Lord said to Moses, Moses was their leader. He said, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. I feel like it should pause there and say, and that is awesome, but it doesn't. Just says, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. It's this extraordinary moment. And the people shall go out and they shall gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So each day, God is gonna cause bread to essentially like rain down and cover the ground, like this flaky kind of bread fall all over the ground. When the people wake up each morning and they peer outside, or if they were already outside, they just look around themselves, they're gonna see this covered all over the ground and there's gonna be bread everywhere. When the people looked at the bread, they didn't know what it was called. So they looked what, what this was. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. And so they looked and they said, what is it? Which in Hebrew is the word manna. And that's actually why it's called manna. Manna just means like, what is it? And that's what they named the bread from that point forward. There's man all over the ground. Nobody knew what it was, but everybody got to eat their fill. Now God sets this up in a really unique way where you can eat as much as you want that day, but if you stockpile it, if you storehouse it, if you put a bunch in a bag because you never know if you're not gonna have bread tomorrow, at the end of the day, by the end of the day and surely by the next morning, it would all go to rot. Said so that it would all be rotten. There'd be maggots. Said so like it wasn't good at that point in time. So all you could do was take the bread that you had and needed for just that one day. And then tomorrow you'd have to wake up and open your eyes to daily bread again and again and again. This became known as their daily bread. Each day God covered the ground with this stuff and the people would have to wake up. And it kind of did this thing. 
where it trained them to follow God and to see a certain way. I think it's interesting that he says it's a test to see if they'll follow, follow his law. At this particular point in the Bible, the Old Testament law hadn't been given yet. So when you think of like my law, he's not talking like, let's see if they'll follow in Leviticus. Let's see if they'll follow what I'll, I'll you know, lay out as time goes. That law didn't exist. What, what you could assume is being said here is this, will these people walk with me and trust me with their lives or will they let scarcity drive them? or keep them standing still? Are they gonna continue on with me and the enoughness of the daily bread that I provide for them? Or is fear gonna take root? Are they gonna find themselves stuck in this one place? And each day they'd wake up to this and they'd have to trust God for that day and go where he led them and do the same thing tomorrow and the same thing the next day. Exodus chapter 16, verse 18 says, but when they measured it with an omer, an omer is a unit of measurement, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. This is so interesting because as they journeyed, it didn't say like, and then he made, you know, there was daily bread every day. And from that point on, they were like high-fiving each other. They were singing hymns and worship songs and just being like, God is good all the time. And they had this like wonderful journey. If you read the story, it is a roller coaster, you guys. There are moments where suddenly they're fearful again. There's moments where suddenly all these doubts and insecurities pile up. There's moments where it feels like everything's going awry and when they start to fight amongst each other. It's really hard. They're wandering through the desert to a place that they've never been to. And yet each day, each person is able to take their fill, whatever it was that they actually needed. And God gave them just enough for the day that was before them to walk through what, they, what he had for them as they continue to follow him. And this gets ingrained in them and they learn this. This taught the people to trust God for their today and to let him have their tomorrow. And that enoughness becomes a powerful thing that enables each step of the journey Okay, so that's the context. But I want you to think for you, what does daily bread look like for you, right? These aren't just the words of Jesus saying, by the way, pray this way only in the first century to these Christians here. Think of that now for you in your life. What is the daily bread of God? When God says, I am more than enough and I am providing for you and caring for you, what is it that that looks like? Do you know that every single day you wake up with grace upon grace upon grace? You wake up with God lavishing his favor on you. There's nothing you could do to make him ultimately stop that. It's because it's who he is. It's like a gift in your life to empower you. You don't have to compete or contend for your worth and value. You don't have to shrink away in insecurity of different moments because the powerful God of the universe looks at you, favors you and says, I wanna go with you. I wanna go before you. I love you. We're told that nothing that you could do, even if you mess up really bad, nothing that you could do could ever separate you from the love of God for you. Right? We, we have this. There's this powerful kind of love with us. And then on top of that, it says that God actually has things he wants to complete in your life and that he's prepared you for the works he set before you and that there's nothing he sets before you that he has not given, what you, what you, given you what you need to walk through it, even if you don't even know you need it or you don't even know you have it, but it's there. There's all these promises of enoughness. There's all these moments of, and that's the moment you wake up, the moment your head pops off the pillow and your eyes open to greet the day, it's, your, it's there. Like an Israelite looking out of the tent at the daily bread scattered around and go, I don't know where today's gonna go or how it's gonna shake out because I do not know these things, but I know I have this. And I know that's powerful in my life. Each of us have these gifts in our life. There's these moments where God steps in. There's these moments where God is constantly sustaining and providing. And that's what this whole thing with daily bread looks like. So back to, back to Matthew 6. Now I want you to hear when Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And what's he tell us in verse 11? 
When you go to pray, consider this. Give us this day our daily bread. This is Jesus narrowing our scope. And we're like, but what about tomorrow? And what about what happens next month? And what about all of the things that I can't control? And what about all the things where like, I'm worried it's not gonna be enough or I'm not gonna have enough or it won't be enough. And it's like Jesus going, no, 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 what? Give us when? Not tomorrow, not the month, not the year, not the decade. Give us when? This day. Shrinks it all to right here and right now. Give us this day. This isn't about the scarcity of what may not be tomorrow. Give us this day. But what if there's no bread tomorrow? You'll have to wake up and follow God the same way you did today and see what he provides and where he takes you. This isn't a call to like dump your savings account, you guys. This isn't a call to like somehow live irresponsibly and stuff. There's other passages and moments for that type of stuff too. This is a call to move from a place of scarcity and focus on what God is doing right here and right now so that you can live in the enoughness before you. Powerfully different. Give us this day. I want you to, I want to ask you this question. Right here and right now, as you sit in this room, right? Like in this very moment, if your head is already thinking about tomorrow, come back. If you're stuck in the future of what's not happening, if you're living in a past of what, what did and you're worried it's gonna repeat it, so all those things, right here and right now, just be in this moment and let me ask you a question. Do you have enough? I want you to think about that. Really, right here and right now, do you have enough? And notice I didn't ask you, do you have enough to retire someday? That's not what I'm asking. I also didn't ask, do you have enough money in your bank account? I didn't ask, do you want more? All I'm asking you is right here and right now as you sit, as you find yourself in this place, in this exact moment, do you have enough? I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to really think on that, not just here, but think on this in the week to come. Think on this in the month to come. Like really Find out where, like take a measurement, so to speak, of where this sits with you, this question. And I want you to know, I asked that in a really specific way. There's a lot of different ways I could ask that question, but you wouldn't answer it honestly. I wouldn't either. Imagine if I said this, is Christ enough for you? Theologically, everybody would be like, yes, right? We know that's the right answer. Absolutely, Jesus is enough for me. Okay, do you trust God to lead you, to care for you, to provide opportunity for what you actually need? Do you trust God? The answer... Yes, because we know like theologically, that's like the right answer. Of course, like is God trustworthy? Do we struggle with that? Sure, but should we? Yes, okay, so yes, I do. If I said, is Christ sufficient? Some of you would get like, you know, outlandishly like defiant and be like, yes, he is. Like you'd, you'd stand up and declare, yes, Jesus is sufficient. Christ is sufficient for me. But what if I looked at you and I said this, are you content? which is another way of saying right now, right here in this space in your life, not do you have all you want, not do you have all you could have, not is there an opportunity for you to have more, none of those things, but just right here and right now, if you were to stop and survey yourself, do you have enough? See, when Jesus prays, give us this day, he's centering our hearts, our minds, our lives, not in someday and not in all of those things, but right here and right now and reminding us of the fact that each and every day we walk with God, that in each and every day we get to lean our full weight of trust upon him and that he actually has us. But he doesn't just leave us there. It's as though he asks us the very same question I just did when he says, but give us this day what? Our daily bread. Do you have what you need for today? Are you experiencing the enoughness of God as he provided yesterday, as he'll do tomorrow, today? Or, his scarcity made its way 
into your heart. You see, sometimes we do a good job with this. Sometimes it's so easy to live in the enoughness of God. And then other times, just because we're human, we try and it's harder than we think. So we get so used to it another way. I remember waking up in the middle of the night in my apartment in Chicago because I was stressed. Do you ever have that where you get stressed so you wake up from like a random sleep at like 2 a.m. and you're wide awake and your mind's going 100 miles an hour? That happened to me at this season of time. I woke up in the middle of the night. My wife was like sleeping, snoring next to me. And I just looked at her and I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know what to do here. But I got out of bed and I walked into the other room. I remember sitting by a window and starting to pray to God. And at that moment, I did something that I know like doesn't work, but we do this all the time. I started bartering with God, like brokering a deal with God. Almost like I pulled the seat up to the, you know, the business table, so to speak. and was like, look, God, let's, let's come together on this and let's make a deal. I have my demands, you have yours, let's meet in the middle. Like that kind of a thing, which I know theologically doesn't work, but don't we do this sometimes? Have you found yourself in this moment? God, if you do this and you open that door, I only wanna go where you wanna take me. So if you do this, I'll know it's an open door. Then I'll walk through. Is it to say to God, like, hey, by the way, not really willing to trust this thing, but like, if you make it so obvious that I can trust it, well, then I'll, I'll trust it. I wonder if God ever looks at some of us sometimes as like, you like know who I am, right? Like you, you understand this dynamic, but we don't. And on it, very honestly, I did this. I said, God, look, if you secure a job, for Amber or for myself, then I'll know that you're behind this thing. Then I'll know that I should go. And as if that's not enough to just broker the one thing to be like, okay, God, if you'll do this, I was like, and also, <laughs> which is a weird moment. Also, if you'll just take care of the moving expenses somehow, cause we don't have the money to even do that. Then I'll know it's an open door from you. And I only want to step through an open door from you. So if you do that, then I'll do this. And then here's what happened that next week. I found out they were opening up a store, the one that I worked at in this area, a retail store, and they needed a manager. And I interviewed and I got the job. And they said, and by the way, we'd love to cover all of your moving costs. And then, and then my wife found out that the place that she worked had a position out there as well. And it was a kindergarten position and she interviewed for that and she got the job. And so now both of us have jobs and our moving expenses are covered so that we can go out. And do you know how I felt? The same. The same, I know, I feel like I should be like, and then I like ran around being like, God is so good and here's what he did. And here's, I like, man, it's an open door. I had this moment where I was like, hey God, if you do this, I'll do that. And then it happened. And so clearly it didn't happen. I was like, wow, God, that's amazing. And I guess, yeah, I guess we should go. And I was still stuck in a place of scarcity. Here's why we have this belief that if we just got the thing that we feel like we're lacking, if we just had that, then it would all go away and it would change for us. But scarcity isn't that. It's not a result of your circumstances. Scarcity is like this liquid, imagine you're a sponge. This is a really good way to imagine this. Imagine you're a sponge. Scarcity is like liquid that's just been poured into you to the degree that you've absorbed it. And now you get so full of it that you're just kind of sopping wet with scarcity. It's how it works. And all of a sudden your circumstances can change, but you don't know how to see the world different. You don't know how to step into that differently. I found myself in a moment still just terrified going like, but what if we don't have enough? Like, thanks for the job and I get all that and that's all really good. And it sounds like some things are going great. My aunt even called and she lives out there and was like, you can come live with us until you can get on your feet. So I even had lodging, like all the basic things covered you guys. And I still was like, but God, what if it's just not enough and you don't give me enough? Scarcity isn't out there, it lives in here. It's the thing that contends and competes with the kingdom of God to take root in your life 
and rob you of the abundance that God actually has for you in the here and now. Problems are real. Circumstances are real. Tensions and stresses and things are real. But the way you see your world is powerful, friends. Do you see it through the lens of the kingdom or through the lens of scarcity? During that season of life, I finally got so frustrated of feeling this way over and over again, despite the fact that it became a little irrational that I felt this way, that I started to pray differently. And I just said, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you're taking me. And I don't know how all of this is gonna work out, but please just help me to trust you for today. What do I need to step into today? Give us this day our daily bread. God, you've provided for me. You've brought me here. You've shaped me in these different ways and moments. You've provided for my wife and I. We've stepped into those things and we're gonna continue to work hard and try to do that same thing as we move in the future. I can trust you for that. Give us this day our daily bread. And what's ended up happening is I've come to learn that you are able to not know what tomorrow holds, but still live with enough today. And I think we forget that sometimes. But it's true. You are not able to know what tomorrow holds, and yet you can still live in the enoughness of God today. And when you live with enough today, you get to do the same thing tomorrow. And it brings the goodness of God, just like 2 Corinthians talks about, right? That goodness of God to your life as he does things and works through you. And then there's a day after that and a day after that. And eventually days become weeks and weeks become months and months become years. And in the end, you have a life that starts to stack up that's lived in the enoughness of God. And it looks and feels and resonates like the kingdom of God. And it becomes a powerful gift, not just to you, but to the people you love the most and to this world at large. And Christ has it for you for each and every single one of us, friends. If you have gotten stuck in scarcity, let prayer be the thing that pulls you back. Give us this day our daily bread. God, help me to embrace you as enough. Guide me forward today because I am trusting you with my tomorrow, just as I trusted you with my yesterday. I wanna close our time together this way. Jesus tells them, give us this day our daily bread, because that made so much sense in that first century context to the Jewish audience that he was talking to at that time. Still beautiful, powerful words today, but I wanted to contextualize it even for us. When he says, give us this day, he's essentially saying, pray for today, right? Pray for today and trust God for tomorrow. And so I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna give you two different things, two ways to pray this part of the Lord's prayer in the weeks to come. You can do both. You can do one, whatever it is that best like resonates with you where you're like, maybe I need that in my life. I wanna pray through that. I wanna encourage you to do so. They're gonna leave it up on the screen for just a bit. So those of you guys that wanna write stuff down, you'll have the time to do so. And if not, I'll make sure you get it afterwards. But pray this, help me to be here in what is present and real and not lost in all of the things that may not happen. God, what do you have for me today? Help me to be here in this moment. I want you to ask yourself the question, what is there that you're facing today that you wanna to trust God with? You wanna trust him with it. What is there that you're focusing on that's actually beyond your control? Because if it's beyond your control, it's probably in God's control. And so you get to actually trust him with that and step into your today, right here and right now and say, God, where's my daily bread? And what is there that I can step into here that you are leading me towards even here, even now, even today? Here's the second one. When he says, right, he says, give us this day. And then what's he say? Our daily bread. He's reminding them of all that he'd done. This is essentially saying replace dissatisfaction with the reminder of provision, right? Replacing discontentment, dissatisfaction with the reminder of provision. I wanna, I wanna encourage you to pray this. God, 
Open my eyes to what you have given me and make me wise to the lies about what I lack. This is two parts. God, open my eyes to what you have given me. God, what's daily bread look like? What are the ways that you've provided? Can I encourage you to do something when you pray this part? Can I encourage you to pull out a sheet of paper or your phone or however you like to record and write things and just start writing a list? This is such a powerful thing. We reference this probably once a year. A really, really powerful thing. Because what happens is if I ask you that at any point, you're like, well, this is good. And God's done this for me. And there's this. We kind of give it a quick pass. But if you really sit down and reflect on this, you'll find you start writing a page. You start writing thing after thing of there's this blessing in my life. And I've seen God do this. And there's this thing that I'm so thankful for. And it actually becomes a list of all the areas of your life that you have gratitude in. And all the moments where you see God continue to show up for you, write that down so that you can see it and express and experience that gratitude in a powerful way. And then in the same way with the second part, identify the lies that you come to believe. Because I want you to know the difference of the voice of the evil one versus the voice of God. I want you to understand the difference between the lies that get whispered and what it's like to live in the truths of the kingdom of God here. Write it down. If there's something that you're like, but I always feel like I'm lacking in this, or whenever this happens, here's the lie that I come to believe. Take its power away. Write the thing down and just say, so the next time that pops into my head, I'm not gonna buy it anymore. I'm gonna choose a different path. I'm gonna choose a different way here. Bring this to your prayer life. Gratitude is the enemy of scarcity, friends. This is a powerful thing. You know, I remember sitting alone in the moving van, driving one last time in the freeway away from Chicago. And my wife was driving our vehicle ahead of us, ahead of me, and I was by myself in the van. And we're driving and... I look in my rear view and I can see the skyline behind me and I just tear up in that moment. And it's because it suddenly occurred to me all the significance of what had happened here, all the places that God had shown up in my life in extraordinary ways, all the ways he taught me, the things that he'd done and who I was now. This is the first place my wife and I had lived as a married couple. He formed and shaped us in so many ways. And I just looked at all of this and I was like, thank you so much for this experience. Thank you so much for everything that you've done and the ways that you continue to provide. And then I remember sitting there looking ahead of me and going, I don't know where I'm going. I mean, I did. I was going to Colorado, but you know what I mean. And I don't know what I'm doing. God, I don't know what you're gonna do or what tomorrow holds, but I'm trusting you for this next leg of the journey. And then I looked at my wife's car in front of me and I recognized who I was praying to. And I just said, God, and I'm so thankful I don't have to do this alone. Thank you that you are with me. Thank you that Amber and I get to do this together and we're trusting you for it. On that particular day, if you had somehow teleported into a moving truck, sitting there right next to me on a bench seat and looked over and you'd said, Ryan, I just wanna ask you as you now step into this move, right here and right now, do you have enough? I can honestly say without question that I would look and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where we're going, but I have more than enough. It was true then and it's still true now. Amidst the tensions and the complexities of my life, it was true then and it's true now. Amidst the tensions and complexities of your life, it's been true, it will be true. It's true for you tomorrow and your next day and your next day, which is why if you have gotten stuck in scarcity, friends, may you find the courage, the wisdom, the audacity to simply pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. God, we come before you and I know that there's some of us in this room where scarcity has gripped our hearts. 
and we see our world out of it. And Lord, I pray, God, that we'd hear your voice amidst all of that. Help us to recognize whatever lies we've come to believe and help us to rest in your abundance. Open our eyes to what your daily bread looks like. May it be a gift to us. May we pause to take the moment, Lord, and experience it. We trust you for it tomorrow. For those of us that are struggling in that, for those of us that don't have the, and are just wondering, okay, this feels right right now, but what about tomorrow? Give us the courage and help us each to know that in this journey, we are together, we're not alone and that you are with us, God. Open our eyes to do great things as we trust you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you guys go today, I wanna do something just a little bit different today, and it's this. If you're a first or second time guest with us here today, I'm gonna immediately, right after this moment, I'm gonna walk down and just stand over there, and I'd love to meet you. I'd love to shake your hand and say thank you for coming. It's awesome to have you guys here. And if anyone here is looking, or you have questions, or maybe you're looking for prayer, we'll love to pray for you over in the prayer place, or if you wanna get connected, stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. Either way, it's really good to be with you guys today. We'll see you soon.